we are kicking off our series on um, dudes. We are talking about authentic biblical manhood. And so there's two things I want to say as we kick this off. One is, um, this is critically important. We live in a world um, where manhood is a confusing thing. We live in a world where we don't always grasp what it is. And, And frankly, whether we like it or not, there is this truth that happens, and it's basically, um, as goes the man, so goes the family, the church, the culture. We clearly understand in Scripture that, that God has, has placed men um, in a position to lead the family and lead the church, and, and, and I know ultimately we don't like to think of it that way, but that's the way biblically this is laid out. And as a culture, we have jacked this up. And so we need to deal with what authentic biblical manhood looks like, and we need to wrestle with that. There's a couple things I'll say. One is if you're a woman here today, I promise you don't need to check out. There is plenty of applicable um, information for you. There is plenty of, uh, of things that we're going to talk about for you to process through and learn and be challenged by. Absolutely, that's true. The thing that I need you to know, though, the thing that I want you to wrestle with, men, is the reason that we're calling you out specifically in this series is because you don't listen. I mean, I'm just, it's, I'm in the same way. I don't listen either. I don't listen either. So there's a study, um, there's a study that, 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 that's been done that, that talks about how men and women process differently in a large group. In a large group, the, the leader, the coach, the boss, um, the advisor may say something generic about an attitude or a problem or a performance. In a group of people, he may say something, she may say something generic. Here's what the study tells us. Even though they're not mentioned by name, most women in the room will think it's about them. So, so the, the boss could say something generic about something that needs to improve or something that needs to change. Most women in the room will assume that the boss is talking to them even though they didn't say her name. Most men in the room will assume that the boss is talking about somebody else. That's just the way it is, right? And so men, I... I'm talking to you, right? Um, Matt, you're talking to yourself. This is something that we need to understand and, and wrestle with together collectively. Because in Scripture, this is critically important. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, Let all that you do be done in love. This is Paul's call to the church in Corinth, to the Corinthians, to act like men. Because there's a lot of behavior, if you read through the book of uh, of 1 Corinthians, if you read through that letter, there are a lot of behavior in that church which is not manly behavior. What you've got is you've got quite a bit of people, men, that are acting like boys. You've got a lot of things that aren't working the way that they should. And Paul, instead of dealing with it on a micro level, he just takes a step back here in, in verses 13 and 14. He says, look, stop. Here's what you need to do. You want to fix your problems. You want, to, you want to make the church work right. You want to stop with all of the sleeping with your mother-in-law and bragging about it and fighting with one another at, at the Lord's table and, and having all of this division in the church. You want to deal with all of that? Then here's what you do. Knock it off and act like men. Because when there is that kind of tension that runs rampant in the church, okay, Paul's solution is, hey, I got an idea. 
Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, and I know, act like a man. That's Paul's instruction, and and yet what we do in our culture is we soften that so much because our our world doesn't like it when we talk about authentic manhood. Our world doesn't like it when we talk about authentic manhood because, frankly, men, we've kind of jacked that up. We've either neglected our responsibilities as men or we've been confused about what they are as men. We talk about toxic masculinity in our world, and that's a real thing that we have to deal with, right? But Paul calls out the behavior in the Corinthian church, and you know what? While the behavior might look a little different, he'd call ours out too. We've got a lot of men, you know, playing video games while their wives go to bed alone, right? Go ahead and stream in the next episode um, of whatever you're binge watching on Netflix while your kids put themselves to bed, right? Too interested in our hobbies to take care of the widow down the street, right? We're, we're so worried about what our golf handicap is or how our fantasy football team is or um, what our call of duty score is that, that we kind of forgot that all of that stuff is temporary and God doesn't care about any of it. But when Paul addresses this issue with the church and and the problem. He says, here's what you do. You be strong. You be watchful. You stand firm in the faith. Everything you do, you do it in love. And oh, here's the thing. That's what it means to act like a man. And so we're going to deal with um, these things in the series today, men. So I want you to specifically know I'm talking to you. Um, I'm talking to myself. Ladies, there is going to be plenty for you to, to glean from this. Um, and this was supposed to be three weeks. We're going to cram it into two, um, but, but I think we'll still get everything we need to out of it. And today, specifically, uh, we're going to talk about Adam. Because Adam is, and, and uh, before we go any further, I'm going to give uh, credit to Kyle Eidelman um, for basically the framework of this, of this series, because this is, this is his framework that we're building into. Um, but as we, as we talk today, we're going to talk about Adam, and Adam is the stereotype for men. Whatever problems Adam had, we are going to have them multiplied. Because the problems that we read about that Adam had, one specifically, but multiple problems that Adam had, as we read about those, we realize that Adam existed in a world free of sin. Adam did not have a sin nature, and yet there were certain things that were inherent in him that that caused grief. We are born with a sin nature, And so you can be sure that these things are going to happen in spades with us. And so we're going to dig into this and and, and we're we're going to deal. So let's start in Genesis. The woman was convinced and she saw that the tree was beautiful and the fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Raise your hand if you are familiar with that passage of scripture. What do we know that as? The fall, right? That's somebody said it. Who said it? Thanks. It's the fall right? It's the fall 
of human beings, because here's what happens. God creates a perfect paradise. It's the Garden of Eden. He creates everything perfectly. He creates man. He says, oh, that's not great. He needs a helper. Um, helper, not meaning like somebody to, to get him a sandwich, but helper, somebody to rule with him, somebody to come alongside him, somebody to complete him, right? The word for helper there, we've said this so many times, I need you to know it. The word that God uses when he says that he makes him a helper in Eve is the same word God uses for himself when he talks about his help to the nation of Israel or his help to the church. This is significant. God says it is not good for man to be alone, so he gives him a life partner in the woman, and the two of them, he says, hey, you, I've given you now a cultural mandate. Be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, rule the earth, conquer it, cultivate it. This is the call that God puts in this perfection. There's only one catch. He says, there's one thing that I will tell you. In the middle of the garden, there's a tree. The tree bears fruit. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and and evil. And don't eat the fruit. Eat everything else. Enjoy everything else. Everything else is yours. Do the work I've given you. Be satisfied and fulfilled. Just follow this rule. And the rule basically says, choose God over yourself. And then we read the woman was convinced because Satan comes and tempts her and and challenges the the word of God and the authority of God. and, And Satan manipulates the woman into believing that God doesn't want her best that, that he's trying to rob her. Remember, we've described this before. Um, Satan will try to teach us that the fence that God puts up is there to limit our enjoyment and our freedom when the reality is that the fence that God puts up is to meant to keep us from playing in the street, right? God does put rules and limits and, and write things in place, and he says, follow these because it's good for you. Satan tells us, no, you're missing out. There's something great out there. But the reality is it's a semi-truck that's not paying attention, that's barreling down the street. But Satan tempted Eve, and he lied to Eve, and he said, God doesn't want you to be fulfilled. God's holding you back because he knows if you do this thing that you're going to be like him. And so she took some of the fruit, and she ate it. And that is what we know as the fall. Let me ask you a question. Whose fault is that? It's Eve's fault, right? The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful. Its fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took it and she ate it. That reads pretty clearly that Eve is responsible for the fall of humanity. Until you get to Romans. Romans 5.12 tells us this. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone now sinned. And so we read this initially, and we think, okay, well, Eve is the problem. Eve ushered sin into the world. But then Paul's talking in Romans about the problem of sin. He says, no, 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 you've got this all wrong. Yeah, maybe Eve is the one that took the fruit. Eve is the one that listened to the temptation that Satan put on her. Eve is the one that stepped out and sinned. But this sin doesn't belong to Eve. This sin belongs to Adam. Adam sinned. Sin entered the world through Adam. That sin from Adam brought death So death spread to everyone, and now everyone sins because of Adam. And we look at this, and we wrestle with, well, what does that mean exactly? And and here's why Adam is a stereotype for us. Here's, Here's what we have to learn. Adam 
is a picture of the thing that we all struggle with. Men, especially us, in the position that God's asked us to be in. Let's go back and read the rest of six. She took some of the fruit and she ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it too. In Adam, we have a struggle that's common to all men. And it's the sin of passivity. Adam stood next to his wife as Satan slithered up. Actually, at that point, would have walked up, crawled up, doesn't matter. Satan came to his wife and said, hey, God didn't really say that. And Adam sat there. Eve tried to defend God and said, no, 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 we can eat all the other fruit. We just can't eat this fruit because if we eat this fruit, we'll die. Adam sat there. Satan said, no, no, you won't die. Surely you won't die. God just knows that you're going to be like him and you'll know things. You'll have wisdom. And, and, and Eve is wrestling with this. She's, she's wrestling with it. She's looking at the fruit. She's like, well, it doesn't look poison. It looks like it should be okay. All that time, Adam sits there and he allows the temptation to come on his wife while he does nothing. And so in him, we find this sin that's common to all men, and it's the sin of passivity where we just don't act, where we sit around and we do nothing. It's, and here's what it is. It's a lack of courage. It's a failure to rise up and do or say what's necessary, what needs to be said. Church, can I tell you something? I suck at this. I am really not awesome at this. If I am really, really honest, I lack oftentimes courage in certain situations. I've got plenty of, of, of courage uh, when it comes to leading the church. Um, plenty of courage when it comes to um, understanding certain things. But, but when it comes to um, my role with my family, I will tell you, and um, they would be gracious maybe to argue publicly, but privately they would agree with me, I would imagine, that this is not something I'm great at. I tend to be passive. And perhaps your lives have been marked too by passivity in the men that God has called to lead you whether it's fathers or husbands or stepfathers, it doesn't matter. Perhaps your life is marked by that a little bit too. But the reality is that when we're passive, we step back and we, we let things happen in front of us that we should be stepping into to directly deal with. Like, like this hurts me. Because if I look at my life and my family, my family of origin, my family now, all of these things, if I look at my life, there are a lot of things that have happened where I might be able to point fingers at other people and I could be justified in doing so. I could be right when I point fingers at other people. I could say, you know what, it's their fault. It's her fault. It's his fault. It's that kid's fault. It's everybody else's fault. And I would be okay. Like legally, I would be fine. The problem is I know better. I know the other half of the story. I know that my being passive created space for those things. And can I be honest with you? That wrecks me. So I don't, I don't, I don't know if you relate, um, but it wrecks me. And, and there are so many of our, our stories that are marked by being passive. 
You know, men, men that, that were supposed to lead well, um, and, and they didn't lead with courage. Uh, they didn't demonstrate through their actions or their words the love or value or regard they have for people. They didn't pull their kids aside and say, you know what, man, you can do it. I believe in you. You've got this. Right? They didn't cherish and love the people that they were called to cherish and love. Even worse, sometimes they took advantage of the people they were called to cherish and love. And they were called to actively step up in courage, but because we're passive, it just doesn't happen. And a lot of our lives are marked by this story. And, and I tell you what, so you know how God's funny? Um, who knows how God's funny? Okay, I know how God's funny. And so this is something that I really struggled with. And, w- and when I had to write this uh, and listen to some things and read some things and write this, I was like, oh, man, boy, that sucks, God. Let's just move on from this one pretty quickly. And then we had a snow day last Sunday. So guess what I had to do? I had to sit with it all week long. And I had to wrestle with it, and I had to fight with God, and I had to tell him why he was wrong. And then I had to relent eventually and admit where he was right. And I had to confront my own sinfulness, uh, mainly the sin of being passive. And so we all carry this, but men, this is in us. It was in Adam before the fall. It was in Adam before sin ever entered the world. And so I promise you, it is in you. I promise you that we deal with this. And this sin is deadly. See, part of Adam's problem is that he didn't realize the threat. He didn't realize that his family was under attack. He didn't know what was going on. Like he's sitting there. He's sitting there and he doesn't understand what's happening. Like, he doesn't understand what's happening to his wife. He doesn't understand that his wife is being threatened and that his family is being threatened. And so he just kind of sits back and he lets it happen. But men, here's, here's the thing I want you to know and I need you to understand. Listen, your wife, your family, your children, your grandchildren, they are being threatened. They are under attack. They just are right? See, look at this in Ephesians 6, 12. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. We are fighting a battle that most of us don't realize, right? The Bible tells us that it's true. We know that it's true. We know that we're all in the middle of a spiritual war right now, but yet because we can't see it in front of us, we step back. Adam could see it in front of him, and he shrunk back. He could see it happening. He was with her as she's talking to a snake. Come on, seriously, what's his problem? She's talking to a snake. He's like, oh, God is good. You walk with him in the cool of the evening every day, except he's been lying to you, right? All of this thing that you enjoy, that you've been enjoying freely, it's not enough. You need more. And Adam sits there and he says nothing, Because he doesn't realize that his wife is under attack. We don't realize that our families are under attack, but they are, right? And Satan is defeated. The word tells us that Satan is defeated. He used to be the ruler of this world. His reign in this world has been crippled and ultimately will fail through the cross of Jesus Christ. But that does not make him not formidable. He is defeated, ultimately, but he is formidable. And listen to me. 
men especially. He wants your wives, and he wants your children, and he wants your grandchildren. And to get them, he doesn't have to get you to commit some great sin. See, this is, this is the rub. Adam, to usher sin into the world and to bring death to the world, didn't have to do anything. Satan didn't have to prompt him to do anything. You know what Satan had to do? Get him to do nothing. All he had to do was get him to sit back and shrink back and lack the courage to stand up and say what needed to be said and do what needed to be done. And that's in all of us. Uh, Eidelman shares, in, in, in his, as he's writing, writing about this, he shares that there's a scene in the movie, um, The Patriot. Who knows The Patriot with Mel Gibson? Okay, it's like the Braveheart, except it happens um, in the American colonies and not in Scotland. It doesn't matter. Anyway, so, so here's the deal. There's a scene in, in the movie The Patriot where, where um, Mel Gibson's character, who is familiar with war from the French and Indian War and was a, an integral part of that and a very good and brutal, bloody soldier, has decided when the Revolutionary War kicks off that he is going to step back because he's had enough war. And that even though he, he feels that he should act, he steps back because he feels like it's better for his family, and so he chooses to do nothing. But eventually, if you know the movie, the war finds him, and it, it actually finds itself in his front lawn um, playing out. And eventually it costs the lives of one of his children. Um, and his response to that is shame. And so at some point, in an effort to comfort him, he's told, look, 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 you didn't do anything wrong. And his response is just simply, you know what? I didn't do anything and that is wrong. And that is this metaphor that we have for the sin of passivity, and we are guilty of it, and we need to deal. We, ju- we just have to do it. And, and, and you know what's ironic about it? Men, we love action, right? We love action, as long as we can watch it from the couch, right? I love playing football of the fantasy variety, where I can keep track of how good I am based on how other people actually go out and perform, right? We love action, right? You know what my son's favorite movie is? Oh, man, we just made a new deal last night. So the new deal at my house, it's copied after Pastor Jerry's deal, uh, which is the church that that I kind of grew up in faith in a little bit uh, as the pastor at Bethany before I left. And his deal was whenever he used his kids as a sermon illustration, he had to pay them $5. (laughs) I use my kids as sermon illustrations a lot, so I'm trying to curb that, um, um, so I don't know if this counts. Maybe I owe him five bucks, but, but here's the deal. His favorite movie, one of his new favorite movies, and, and it reminds me of mine, is Creed. You know, the boxing movie, right? And I remember as a kid, I loved Rocky movies, right? I loved it. It was awesome. The action, the fighting, the whole thing, it was great. And I loved to watch that. The training montages, come on, the training montage where they play like, like you know, uh, I had a tiger, and he's working out and doing push-ups, and then Rocky Four, he's hauling like boulders, you know, because he can, right? He's like, oh no, this horse is stuck. I'll lift the horse out of a snowdrift in the middle of Siberia in Russia and put it down. And like, like I'm like, oh yeah, like, oh, I gotta get another bag of chips. 
while I enjoy watching this. We love action. You know, we love action because we're wired for it. I mean, how many Fast and Furious movies have there been? Never seen a one of them. But I know they keep making them. And now they're making spinoffs. Because we're wired for this. Right? There's a reason the Patriot and Die Hard and... Die Hard. I love Die Hard. Don't go watch Die Hard unless it's on regular TV. Okay? But, but you know, Die Hard and, and we, you know, it's like Braveheart and these movies, they resonate with us. They speak to our soul because we're wired that way. Yet somehow we've traded that in. I have traded that in for this counterfeit reality where we're passive. And that passivity lingers for a while and it causes problems and it wreaks havoc in our churches and our communities and our families. But you know where it really gets bad? Honestly, it really gets bad when that passivity leads us to try to find counterfeit ways to act like men. Because it will. See, at first we're passive and Satan gets us to do nothing. And that causes problems. And then after a while, what happens is we try to find counterfeit ways to act like men. That's where toxic masculinity comes from. Two of the greatest ways that, that men try to act like men but still be boys today. Um, one is just blatant sin and the other isn't, but we take it too far. Um, pornography and video games. Pornography has the allure of you acting like a man with none of the sacrifice, none of the commitment, none of the holy pursuit of the woman and the honoring of the woman that God has given you. But it lets you for a second act like a man. And, and pornography is, is rich in our culture here. Let me, let me read you a couple things. Uh, these are uh, a year old, so you can imagine there are more now. Over 40 million Americans are regular visitors to porn sites. In case you care, the average visit lasts 6 minutes and 29 seconds. There are about 42 million porn websites, which totals 370 million pages of pornography available on the internet. The pornography industry's annual revenue is more than the NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball combined. And let's face it, you could probably throw soccer in there too because they don't make a whole lot of money. 47% of families in the United States reported that pornography is a problem in their home. Half. Pornography use increases marital infidelity by more than 300%. If pornography is a problem in your marriage, the chances of infidelity increase, get this, 300%. It's problematic. 11 is the average age that a child is first exposed to porn. 94% of children will see porn by the age of 14. 56% of American divorces involve one party having an obsessive, an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. 70% of Christian youth pastors report that they have at least one teen come to them for help in dealing with pornography in the last year. 68% of church-going men, and listen to this, 
over 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. Of young Christian adults, 18 to 24-year-olds, 76 actively search for porn. 60% of pastors say that married men seek their help. 33% of women, 25 and under, search for porn at least once a month. I mean, it keeps going. 55% of married men and 25% of married women say they watch porn at least once a month. Listen to me. This is a big deal. And what happens is the sin of passivity, of just sitting back and taking no courage to get up and act, what happens is that sin of doing nothing leads to sin of action eventually. Because we know there's something in us that's wired to act like men. We just don't know what that looks like. And so we settle for a cheap counterfeit of it. And the problem is that that it never does what it's supposed to do. It's a lie, right? Porn promises to make a man feel like a man, but ultimately it requires nothing from him. And listen to me. Listen to me. Christian, understand what I'm saying to you here. Being an authentic biblical man will cost you everything that you have to spend. Everything that is in you to be an authentic, biblical, godly man, you will have to pour out of yourself. And the problem with pornography is it costs you nothing. It's counterfeit. There's no courage required. There's no pursuit. Nothing to honor, value, and sacrifice for the woman. This, this is problematic. and Less problematic, but it still starts to get to the heart of the issue. Video games. Video games, right? Like, I can, I can be brave and bold, but I don't have to actually have courage or sacrifice or put myself on the line to do things. And we, and we get so wrapped up in these things, and they're just so, ultimately, they're so counterfeit, right? But they're a lie, and it's what Satan specializes in. James 1, 14 and 15 tells us, look, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. And these desires give birth to sinful actions. And where sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. I love the way Francis Chan talks about this. Francis Chan uses the imagery in this about sin giving birth to death. That what it does, that word for death, giving birth to death, is the word that we would use. I'm sorry for the graphic nature of this. It's the word that we would use for stillborn. You can imagine being pregnant and all of the the fun and excitement and passion that comes along with being pregnant and just the anticipation of the good thing that's about to come. And then when it comes, when it actually comes to fruition, it just brings death and devastation and shame and heartache. But that's what sin does. It's something that we think is going to fulfill us. It's going to make us happy. It's going to finally make me feel like a man. It's going to give me everything that my heart desires. It's going to finally fulfill. And then we get it and we grab it and we play with it and we get excited for it. And then it gives birth to shame and death. It's stillborn. It's gross. It's not alive. But that's what Satan does, right? It's what Satan's always done. Hey, look at the fruit. Looks good. Looks delicious. Seems like it's going to be tasty. Why don't you have a bite? But it never delivers. 
And men, we, we just have to know and understand that. Uh, but the sin of passivity is the stereotype. We see it all through scripture. In fact, just to walk through some of the Old Testament real quick, you see it happen all the time. It happens with Abraham. Abraham and his wife, Sarah, God has promised them a child. And he says, hey, I'm going to take your child and I'm going to multiply your child and I'm going to make your descendants number like the stars. They'll outnumber the sand on the shore and the whole world will be blessed by them. And years and years and years go by and no baby. And Sarah is old and barren, and Abraham is older. And so Sarah comes to Abraham and says, hey, I've got a great idea. Please sleep with the servant girl. You should have sex with the servant girl. You guys will have a child, and then we'll act like that child is the one that God promised. Abraham doesn't realize what's happening. He doesn't realize that Satan is attacking his wife and her worth and her value and not being able to conceive and not having a son yet. And so not realizing what's happening, he just says, okay, I'll go along with it. And it's the sin of passivity that leads to a sin of action that causes this grief. And and, um, there's more, right? Uh, Jacob has 12 sons. One of them he likes more than any other one. He gives him a what? Who knows? A multi-technicolor dream coat right? Uh, It's not really a Technicolor dream coat. It's just from the musical. But he gives him this coat of many colors. And and Joseph, uh, we read in in Genesis that Joseph brags to his children about how great he is and the dreams he has. And he's like, I bet you I'm going to be bigger and better than you because God is giving me all these visions. And that's what I think they mean and and all of this. And, And the word tells us that the other 11 brothers grumbled against Joseph. What did Jacob do? The word tells us here's what Jacob did. When he knew that 11 of his sons were angry and plotting against a 12th son, here's what he did. He thought about it. Word tells us that that Jacob stepped back and he pondered it. He didn't act. We read in Samuel, the priest Eli, the high priest Eli leading the nation of Israel has two sons. And those two sons are wicked. They steal from people bringing sacrifices to the temple. They sleep with the women that come to serve at the temple. We almost read that they force themselves on the women that come to serve at the temple. They take the sacrifice you were bringing for God. They take what they want out of it first. They rob from God. They cheat. They are evil. They, the word of this comes to Eli. God says, God says through Samuel to Eli Your children are wicked, and I'm going to wipe out your family. You know what Eli does? Nothing. He says, well, I guess God will do what God will do. And he steps back, and he does nothing. It's the sin of passivity. And guys, it kills us. And you know why? Because as men, we have a tendency to act and speak up only when we're confident that we're going to win. Only when we're confident in our strength and we're sure of success do we step up. And so you know what's lacking? It's courage. It's the courage to step up and fail. It's the courage to pour yourselves out for your wife and be rejected. It's the courage to stand in the gap for those that are less fortunate and fail. It's the courage to put yourself in vulnerable situations because you know that's the call of God for men. Having courage means that you take risks. 
The problem is that when we're not sure that we're going to be successful, we don't. And ladies, can I talk to you for a second? Sometimes you're not helping. You're well-meaning. Your intentions are good. You want your men to step up. You want them to do more. But, but what happens is, in an effort to do that, you, you chide and you ride and, and, and you, you kind of push on and you criticize. And I get why you do it. I get why you do it. Um, but Eidelman tells us something that I think is worth sharing, that, that criticism clips the wings of the men that you wish would lead you. Constant criticism clips the wings of the men that you wish would lead better. And you underestimate the power of your words. An encouraging word will do so much to build up, and a criticism puts down. Look, look what, what the author of Proverbs, what Solomon says, it's better to live alone in the corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome wife in a lovely home. Right? Now, <laughs> I'm just telling you, I get it. Sometimes I get why you push the men in your life to have courage and to act, but you and I both know that that pushing them to have courage and act often turns into criticism, and criticism clips the wings of the men that you so desperately want to, to lead you. And so we've got to be really careful about that, okay? And men, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, okay, fine, stop beating me up. I've been passive. God, stop beating me up. I've been passive. What do I do about it? Well, God calls you to do the same thing he called Adam to do, and Adam failed at it. Frankly, he failed miserably. But it's what God calls us to do, and it's take responsibility. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. God asks you to take responsibility for the people that he's put in your life. Stop being passive, encourage, step up, and lead. And you've all got something to lead. Your family, your spouse, your children, your grandchildren, your coworkers, whatever it is, you've got something to lead, your friends. There's some way that you've been stepped in and God has asked you to lead. And God's asking you to take responsibility. God asked Adam to take responsibility. He knew what happened. God wasn't confused about what happened, but he goes and he starts walking through the garden. Adam and Eve run and hide because they're cowards, because Adam refuses to step out in courage. And he says, hey, where are you? And, and Adam, the best he can muster is, I heard you, so I hid. I went and I hid in the trees because I was naked well, who told you you were naked, right? Who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree? Did you eat from the tree that I asked you not to eat from? And so what's Adam do? He throws his wife under the bus. He's like, Adam, take responsibility for yourself, man. You sat there when it happened. Did you eat the fruit that I told you not to eat? And he's like, well, God, it's like this. The woman that you made me take, right? She gave it to me. What was I going to do? What was I supposed to do? I know what you're supposed to do. As soon as a snake starts to talk to your wife, you should step in and stop that. And as soon as your wife reaches a hand for the fruit, you should gently take it and grab it back. And as soon as she goes to put it in your mouth, you should take it from her. And when she tries to give it to you to eat, you should have nothing to do with it. Right? Listen, Adam had so many opportunities to step up and lead with courage. 
What would have happened? I don't know. Right? What would have happened if he'd stepped up with courage? If he had stepped up with courage and said, Eve, don't listen to that monster. God is good and gracious and kind. Stop listening to the lies of the devil. What would happen if you stepped up and said that to your wife? Would she listen? I don't know. I don't know if she would or not. But that's you doing your courageous part. Maybe you'll get rejected. I don't know. But you'd be doing your part. But God wants us to take responsibility. I know that, that I've had to say to Carrie, um, I actually am, am, I've said it before and I, I wrote it to her in a letter, um, uh, as I was just trying to journal my own thoughts, and it was just, do I have to pay you $5? <sighs> I'm going to be a few short, so if anybody wants to hook me up afterwards, that, no, that was wildly inappropriate. Don't do that. Um, no, no, listen, listen. I, I had to write to her that, you know what? I failed as a husband on more than one occasion because I sat back passively instead of stepping up in space that I should have been in. God asks us to take responsibility, and it's the first step towards moving in this, right? But to be a man is to have courage, to take responsibility for your shortcomings, admit your mistakes, step into that space, and see what happens. Too many of us are like, well, I would, but, but I'll feel rejected. Or I would, but she doesn't let me. Or I would, but, but I, I don't feel like I've earned the right. Or You know what? Stop it. God has asked you to take responsibility and step in. And there are some of us here, and our scenarios are wildly different. Some of us men, um, we have tried to step in, and, and whether it's, it's um, loving our wives, yes, maybe it's, it's not just our wives, but our wives' children. And, and we have stepchildren that we are called to actively be a part of their lives right? Perhaps it's, it's um, extended family that needs. Perhaps it, it is the widow down the street. I, I don't know what it is for you, but I know that God has called us to stop being passive, to be active. It, it's good truth for everybody, but men, it is specifically in our DNA since Adam to sit back and let things happen. Not in every area of life, I mean, it's a weird dichotomy, right? There are some parts of your life where you are all in and you are bold and aggressive and you are on top of it. That's me. Like I am bold and aggressive um, when it comes to church leadership, right? I understand this. I feel empowered by God to lead in this way. I study and I, 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 I listen and, and I, um, I, I am in tune with God. And so I step in and, and I feel bold and confident here. But sometimes when I go home, God calls me to be just as active and just as courageous there as he does here. And I, I, I drop the ball. And I wonder if maybe you do too. So here, here's the thing that I'll leave you with. Is that um, it doesn't have to be. God, through Christ, has given us the power that we need to step into that space. You want to be courageous? Through Jesus, you have the power to be courageous. Through Jesus, you can step in and risk. God has restored what Adam broke. In his passivity, Adam brought death and destruction and decay and chaos to the world. Through Christ's action, God has redeemed all of it. And so if you need to stop living in that passive space 
where you're not stepping up where you should step up and you're not showing courage where you should be stepping courage and even worse yet, you're playing with a counterfeit kind of manhood, knock it off. Take responsibility. And you can boldly take responsibility because when you, when you act like a man and you take responsibility, Christ is gracious to forgive through the cross. And it's a fresh start. And it doesn't erase all of the mistakes that you've made, but it puts you on a path to redeem them. And it puts you on a path to be the man that God's called you to be. And God's called you to be significant in the life of somebody. I swear it to you. God has called you to be significant. We're going to talk more about this next week. As we, we talked about the stereotype today, we're going to, we're going to talk about a prototype next week. Uh, and that's the life of David. David is not perfect He's not sinless, but he is the prototype of who we can be when we are a man after God's own heart. And so we're going to focus there next week, and we're going to talk more about courage and what it looks like to be a man after God's own heart. But for now, for this week, just know this. Look, it's time to be done being passive. All right? Let me pray for us, uh, and, and we'll um, get to our wrapping up point. Heavenly Father, God, we just we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you for all things. Father, we thank you for your word that calls us to be men of faith, to stand strong, to be courageous. I pray for the women here. I pray that you'll help them apply this to their lives and their parenting and their marriages and their relationships as well in in a way that fits their context. Uh, Father, I pray for the men um, who aren't here, whose wives are. The the men who've chosen... Uh, and maybe for work and other reasons, and so I'm not pointing fingers, but I know that there's some that choose to be passive uh, while they send their wives and kids to church that they sit home and, and um, just rest. Father, I pray that there would be a boldness there as well. I, I pray that you would stir in their hearts, that they would put away passivity and they would step with courage and take responsibility for those that you've asked them to lead. Father, I pray for the church as we continue to work towards um, a a potential merger with revolution. I pray that we will prayerfully seek your face and seek to follow you in all things. Father, I pray that as we go from here that that, uh, we'll arrive where we're headed safely and and that we will do so without without, um, problems or significant things happening. And I pray that um, that those that have questions will be able to, to gather at Revolution Church later tonight. Um, to to have those questions answered. I pray, um, God, that you just continue to have your way in and through all things. Father, we love you and we praise you. Amen.